Hi, my name's Ian Muir Cochran. I spent many years making investigative programmes for the BBC. I've come to Deepest Cornwall to visit an old friend of mine who wants me to help him with an investigation of his own. And frankly, this is the weirdest story I've ever come across. There's a stillness here. Mm. You can hear the sea. Graham Mitchell's from Cornwall, and he knows this landscape well. I mean, it's in some ways an idyllic <clears> spot, but at the same time, it, it is a very barren landscape. It is incredibly barren. All the exposed rocks. Mm. It's not even like the Irish peaty land that you... When you drive through it, you think, well, this is desolate, but actually it's very rich. And even in busy Cornwall, there's hardly any traffic on the road. Yeah, nothing. He's made a successful career as a screenwriter, doing TV dramas like Silent Witness. So it's no surprise that he likes a good crime story and an unsolved murder, which is why we're here. Turning our back on the sea, we face a steep hill which leads to a desolate moor. So, how much further up are we going, Graham? It goes up. Uh, if you look up to that ridge there, there's a ridge up and then beyond that, it sort of levels out and then you, I'm afraid there's another climb, but it's not too far. We're trying to find a remote little cottage where a group of people gathered one night. One was killed, one went insane, one committed suicide. It's said the findings of the police investigation weren't made public. It's pretty, uh, pretty prickly it's track. It's the only path up to the cottage that I can find anyway, so... This mystery has never been solved. That is, until now. We're going to investigate the terrifying events of that night. It's a story of love, tragedy and the afterlife. Oh, and by the way, did I mention, this cottage is somewhere you can go if you want to talk to the dead. So this is what you wanted me to see? Yeah, I want you to see this, because if you look behind from where you are standing now, so we're facing up towards the the ridge of the hill, and can you see there's a cottage, there's a roof of a cottage? Yeah just kind of on the horizon you can't see it very clearly and if you look back the way you've come then the sea is right there and between us and the sea sort of probably about maybe a mile away there's a a couple of houses the house on the highest part of that ridge with the sea behind it is called eagle's nest it's called eagle's nest for obvious very grand looking house magnificent looking The story I've heard is that back in, I think it was 1938, one evening, uh, the woman who lived down there in that house, she came up uh, the way we've just come up to go to that cottage to help a young woman who was living there at the time. And um, when she went in, she stumbled on some sort of satanic ritual. Um, Apparently they were trying to conjure up the devil. And whatever they did conjure up killed her. A satanic ritual? Yeah, apparently so. And um, um, she never left there alive that night. 
Now, there was a police investigation at the time um, run by the main man, the chief constable of Cornwall, whose name was, let me try and remember, Sir Hugh, Sir Hugh Prothero Smith. Uh, but the files uh, of the St Ives Police, who, who, who was investigating at the time, the files have completely disappeared. This is a decades-old story. Nearly a century ago, this happened. Why would we be bothered about that now? Well, it's a great story, for one thing. It's a mystery that needs to be resolved. The events, whatever they were that happened in that cottage, have become myth locally, uh, more than locally now, because it's, it's become, the cottage has become like one of the most popular places in the country for paranormal investigators, ghost hunters. They all come with their specialist recording equipment and they say that you can still make contact with those people who were there that very night. Ghost hunters. I didn't you I get the sense that you're into this kind of stuff. Into you know, the paranormal and all. I didn't I didn't well, ever think of you kind of being into that kind I mean you think you know someone, but that's yeah, I know. All right. Well, yeah, maybe a bit, a little bit. I, you know, I'm interested in people who believe those kind of things and who who have that fascination. Yeah, yeah. Why not? And it's you know, look, it's a potentially fantastic story. This. So, if you were in your TV script writer role scripting this, what kind of story is this? Is this a cold case, a murder case? Is this a is this a haunting, or is it a conspiracy theory that involves the police and those in power? Potentially all of that. Episode 1 of One Dark Night. We've come down from the cottage on the moor to the nearby village of Zena. So this is the church and the, the graveyard. We came here when we were kids and it's just the most peaceful place. And it is. It's kind of like surrounded by this windswept, granity outcropped moorland, which is really wild. And down here it's just tucked away and beautiful. Cornwall is renowned for its folklore, with countless myths, legends and tales associated with this magical landscape. So perhaps it's no surprise that the story of the cottage is already reaching mythical status. The Cornish tales told by firesides became preserved in books by 19th century authors such as Robert Hunt, Ennis Tregarthen and William Bottrell, who recorded one such legend, which supposedly happened just where we are now. Well, here we are in the uh, church of St. Sonara in Zenner for down your way. <laughs> what do you think, Ian? Um, I think we'll take it with, a, with a, your usual stage voice, please. <laughs> usual stage voice. All right, well, here we are in the Zenner church of St. Sonara. And we've got, Ian, a piece of medieval woodwork. 
it's an old bench, I don't know what it is really, it's a pew I think. And on the side of it, there is a beautiful image of a mermaid. She's holding a comb and a mirror, as mermaids are supposed to do. The story is that there was a man in this church with the most beautiful singing voice, a very young man called Matthew Trewheeler. And um, for a succession of Sundays, this woman would arrive and sit at the back of the church. Nobody locally knew her. Uh, and one day, Matthew just simply disappeared and was not seen again for many decades until one day a fisherman out at sea saw him and the woman and their children in the sea altogether. Uh, and she was a mermaid and had lured him away for the beauty of his voice. And they had their mer children together and lived beneath the waves. And that's the tale. I wait for Graham in the graveyard. He's gone off to try and find someone in the village who'll talk to us about what happened at the cottage. So how did it go? Yeah, yeah, I found a guy, yeah, who's heard about it. Um, and he says, you know, loads of people around here have heard about it. It's this kind of story that's been around for a long time, so... Uh, we can go and interview him? No, he won't talk to us about it. Why and not? he said, nobody, nobody here in the whole village is going to talk to us about it, or anywhere around here. Did he say why? I don't know why. I don't know why, but no. Under no circumstances, ever, 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 will we talk about this. It's a cliché, isn't it? The scene where the villagers won't talk about something that happened because of some dark secret. But what is striking is how the cottage has become a place that people from all over want to come and experience something uncanny. What is it that's made it an irresistible destination? Well, we're about to find out. Yeah, this hasn't been lived in for a while, but you've got... Got another room here, look. Wow. Yes, people have been sleeping up here. Sleeping in here. When we get back to Graham's, I do a search online and very quickly find videos that have been posted by visitors to the cottage. Wine bottles and stuff over there. Uh, nature's trying to take this place back over. A lot of thorns. This looks like a group of what you might call paranormal investigators or ghost hunters. So you can hear better what's going on. I'll connect this recorder to my laptop. Whoever you are who needs help, come over in the middle of us and speak into this device. Whoa, we'll find this just blew up. Come and speak into this device now. What was, what that? was that? What was that? Sounds like he was mimicking you. Let me listen. Let me listen. None of us said anything there. I messaged the person who posted the video to see if he'll talk to us about his visit to the cottage. 
I was quite a scared kid, you know, I was I was like scared of the dark, you know, nightmares and, and all sorts of things. And as I've grown up, I've tried to face these fears and just walk straight towards all of these things that you're supposed to be scared of. And, um, you know, just look, try and look them in the eye where possible. I've spent time looking for ghosts at uh, various places. This is Matthew Williams. I was sleeping um, on the floor in somebody's room because they said that they had experiences in this room. We've arranged a video call with him. He's a man with an intense gaze. And even on screen, you get a feeling of pent-up energy. I said, uh, you know, are you seeing it now? And we were all seeing this black shadowy figure. And I said, right, well, we're all seeing this. If somebody's very insistent that there's something that, you know, you could possibly experience, I would, I would, you know, take, take the time out to go and have a look. Matthew is a paranormal researcher. His fame coming from his involvement with crop circles and talking about UFO sightings on television in the 1990s. These days, he has a video channel, The Secret Vault, where he explores abandoned places, which is how he ended up going to the cottage. I was around a few people who wanted to go there because they were interested in the paranormal side of it. Was there going to be something that was detectable? Could you speak to a spirit or something there? And would it be very strong? You know, the experience be strong. So I said, yeah, let's let's do it. You know, I mean, it's got it ticks all the boxes. It's like, you know, are we going to have something weird? And it's going to be great for the channel, you know, for the exploring channel. So, yeah. Can you describe it that day, how, how the day panned out? What we did is we we all started walking up the hill. Um, there's probably a group of about 10 of us. Um, we reached the top. It was getting dark. It was starting to get windy, rainy. And um, there it was in all, all its glory with um, just one room, really. I think everything else had been built onto this just one stone room. So you get into this stone room and on the floor, wooden floor, is drawn in chalk uh, a magical symbol. Um, and it seems to have had some writing there which may have been rubbed off by somebody um, and there are these spheres, plastic spheres. Um, I don't know where, where they would have come from, possibly some sort of uh, plastic ball, but you know, a fragile plastic ball that's been cut in half to make these spheres and they've been strewn around the room and on them are magical symbols. Now the Sephiroth, this this thing it's called it like the Kabbalistic tree of life um so the Kabbalah is a Jewish magical tradition but uh, um so this has been drawn on the floor you know so, so somebody's been there doing some sort of magical ceremony we set ourselves up and we started doing voice phenomena things with uh, a radio device and recordings and yeah there was some interesting stuff coming through we had voices come through on on tape recordings there was uh uh, people were actually filming as as this was taking place. So, what yeah, sort of what sort of things were recorded? Can you remember what? Yeah, I think there was. I think we had things like the the word demon came through, but I think there were some responses that made us think that there had been some ceremonies taking place, which might have involved, you know, sacrifices there. So no one would say anything. No yeah. one say anything. What? Sounds like it's in reverse. They're gonna get me. Help me, they're gonna get me. Oh my god. Yes, it is. Help me, they're gonna get me. 
And what do you think it is? I don't know whether or not... Um, I mean, it could be that there is a spirit or something trying to send a message through. Um, I'm a big believer as well that we we as humans are transmitters of telepathic thoughts. And I, I've always got to second guess everything um, to think, well, maybe it's us. You know, maybe we are projecting these things sometimes. You might be surprised to learn that many of the paranormal investigators who come to the cottage haven't heard the story of what was supposed to have happened back in 1938. So Graham fills Matthew in on what we know so far to see what he makes of it. So she made her way up to the cottage uh, one night and she died there at the cottage. I mean, you think to yourself, you know, would, would somebody who is an outsider stepping in on some sort of weirdness that was going on up there and and kind of then end up being the sacrifice in a, in a way? And, you know, you kind of you, you, you think those thoughts, but I'm just wondering if there's anything to kind of back it up. And But then you have to ask, well, who are the people who were there and what was their connection to something, you know, slightly more sinister it's like somebody arrives and they say oh let's give you a drink and then suddenly they're and and that could that could be part of a sacrifice you know you in, you ensure somebody dies therefore the sacrifice is is fulfilled don't know why my brain is going down that route it's kind of like maybe that would be the story i wrote if i was a a fictional a fictional writer would be you know Invited to the cottage to fulfil your wicker man role of uh, being the sacrifice, you know. It's easy to speculate, but what have we actually learned so far? I think the key to this story is the cottage, and I want to find out more about its history. And I suggest to Graham that he tries to find out who owns it now. Right, here we are. Two mugs oh, of tea. Oh, that's good. Right. Cheers, mate. So, um, well, what are you going to tell me? Any luck with the owner? Uh, no, not really. He, I mean, what a guy. An extraordinary man. Uh, local man. No way. No. So, any idea why that is? I think there's loads of people go there. I think, you know, the place is is a bit of a pilgrimage site for ghost hunters and, you know, people into the occult and the mysteries of, of, of all of that. And I think he's he's worried about, that's fair enough in some ways, they're worried about the fabric of the building and, and the reputation the building's getting. I mean, I don't know, I don't know if there's a way around it, you know, whether we can, we can find some way of accessing the place without you know, trespassing or... How about you? How'd you go? Well, I looked up the Chief Constable of Cornwall, uh, Hugh Bateman Prothero Smith. Who called his name? Uh, oh, is it? Okay. No, it isn't. <laughs> <laughs> well, OK, I found his obituary. Right. What? He's dead? <laughs> well, look, this is this is a problem we're going to have here because of the the time that this happened. But anyway, the dates that I found was that he was chief constable from 1909 okay. to 1935, wow. which is 
three years before this all was meant to happen at the cottage. Wow. So already I'd say there's some things that don't add up here. And as far as the records of the investigation, whatever that was at the time, I haven't been able to find any archives of an investigation so he, by the police. So he shouldn't have been involved in any way with this? Well, if he'd retired by then, yeah. and it was a matter of the chief constable, it was that serious, then he wasn't doing the job then. Okay. Is something hushed up here? <laughs> well, I mean, you know, if you're looking for a conspiracy theory, well, then... Yeah. Well, if you are looking for a conspiracy theory, then you might uh, conclude that that's what's happened. Now, there is a story to do with the cottage on the haunting spooky front, which I thought was quite interesting. Okay, good. So it's to do with the guy that lived there soon after um, what happened uh, back in 1938. And he was called Brian Winter, and he was there from 1945, I think around through to 1964. Now, he was a painter, one of the St. Ives painters. Yeah. And... Um, was up there painting the landscape, uh, getting back to nature, I think was his idea. But there is this story by one of his friends. There was another painter called Kit Barker, and he talks about back in 1947, he was out for a walk with another mate, and they thought, oh, we'll pop in and see Brian and his partner Sue at yeah. the cottage. They're up that way. So they go up to the cottage and they get to the front door, yeah. And they hear inside a row going on, a man and a woman, which appears to be having a row. They think, well, maybe not a great time to call. So they decide to knock on the door anyway, because they're there. The row carries on and no one comes to the door. So they wait a little bit and then turn the handle on the front door and the door's open and they go inside and cottage is completely empty oh wow so they have a look outside there's no one there they can't find anyone so they leave a note for brian and we pop by etc and next time they saw him he said oh thanks i got your note um i was in st ives that day wow so there's no one near there was no one there wow so okay interesting that this cottage seems to attract Everyone seems to have a story about this cottage. Yeah. I mean, Kit Barker did say that, um, in addition in this memoir, uh, that he did on another occasion go to the cottage and felt very cold when he was inside and then had to come out of it. Wow. Here's a, I found a, an archive photograph of Brian Winter. There he is um, just sitting in front of the cottage with his drawing pad obviously looking out across the landscape. We should call him Brave Brian from now on. <laughs> Moving in there. But just looking at the picture there, because you can see the cottage in the background, it doesn't look very different no, from how it looks now. Yeah, and that picture must have been taken um, from the look of him, you know, 1940s, maybe yeah. 1950s. 1940s, yeah, looks like it. Whether it's because we're, you know, exploring the the... the the notoriety that the cottage has now or whatever but it looms behind him yeah you can imagine um when kit barker wandered up there and knocked on the door that it was a place that 
you might have some trepidation about. Yeah. Come on, drink up and. Um, Why? Well, are, we, are we going somewhere? Yeah, some other spooky shit I want to show you. Come on. <laughs> really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, great. Okay. Right. Hang on. Let me. Yeah. It's endless, mate. <laughs> landscape. A landscape I'm beginning to see differently. I'm keen to find out from Graham where his interest in the supernatural has come from. And then, as we talk, a story emerges. A story of fear and devastating family loss. Was there anything in your world as a kid which was to do with the supernatural or the occult yeah I used to see well I don't know what they were ghosts I suppose is what they were I suppose that's what you called them I you saw ghosts yeah I used to see faces sort of that would come out especially in the dark I'd see faces that would come out of the dark they were like um, dozens and dozens of faces that would simultaneously come towards me and where were you when you saw them? Uh, could be in anywhere, really. <clears throat> Mainly in the dark, but sometimes in the, in the but at daytime home. too. At home, generally at home, or <clears throat> usually when I was alone. And did that not disturb you? Oh, terrified me! Absolutely terrified me. I had—I um, was one of those kids who had rituals to, you know, to make things all right in the world. I used to. This was my ritual when I went to bed. I used to um, have a wait, flush the toilet, then I would run into the bedroom as quickly as I could and there would be like a chest of drawers and I'd have to go on the drawers, two drawers, I'd have to go twice on the side, once in the middle and twice on the other side, one, two, one, one, two, and then on the below that I'd go one, two, one, one, two, on that, and then I'd have to line up the... I'm sounding mad, aren't I? I'd have to line up the the key on the wardrobe with the two screws holding the locks in place. Then I'd have to kick off my shoes but line them up so that they were parallel with each other and then get into bed and hold the covers up to my neck all before the toilet system had finished refilling. And if that that just sounds like a challenge. It's just crazy. <laughs> and if that didn't, if I, you know, if I missed it, I'd have to get out and flush the toilet again. And so my dad would be downstairs, what the hell is going on up there? Flushing the bloody toilet, wasting the money. So, <laughs> what was that protecting you against? Well, I suppose seeing these faces. Um, you thought they were connected. If you did this, then you I wouldn't see the faces. How did you work out that out? And I, maybe that's what we do. Maybe we come up with rituals. We ritualise things to to make our world safe. So, did safer. you tell your family about the faces? No. I already knew about a family tragedy that had happened in Graham's youth. But what I didn't know was how it was linked to his supernatural experience. When I was very young, my brother was killed in an accident. Very much believed that um, my brother had gone somewhere else to another place, which was also part of the religious upbringing that I had. Um, that he'd gone somewhere else and where other 
people also were, other dead people also were. And there was, I suppose, a sense that that I was trying to be communicated with, you know, and that maybe I could communicate back. But that was terrifying. So does that belief, I guess, that you had at the time, that there were supernatural activities, did you continue to believe that? Do I believe it now? Well, I think that's partly what this journey is about, is, is about hearing what other people believe and, and what those beliefs perhaps are founded on and a sense that perhaps we don't understand everything that's going on. When you were saying that when you were a kid, obviously you had certain issues, psychological grief issues you were dealing with, do you think that for some other people who have belief in supernatural events or the supernatural world, that in fact it's really just something which is satisfying a psychological need? I don't know. Maybe the cynic in me thinks that, yes, they are kind of manifestations of psychological need, but but there's another part of me that says, well, why not be both things? Why not be a manifestation of psychological need? But also, because of your vulnerability, um, you're able to access other feelings and emotions, perhaps experience things that you wouldn't normally experience. So, yeah, why not? I'm beginning to realise now that Graham's interest in the events at the cottage has a lot to do with the questions that he has about what happens to us when we die. And I can also see that he's on a mission to show me the mystical and, dare I say, supernatural dimension to this landscape. Graham has transported us back over 3,000 years to Bronze Age Cornwall to an overgrown track surrounded by fields. So that's the landmark on the horizon, St Berrien's Church. And then, as we get to the end of the track, I can see why we're here. Wow. We're looking at 20 stones. A stone that looks a little bit like an arrowhead, really, in the middle of it, which I imagine was upright at one time, but which is leaning now. And what's this place called? It's called Boscawn Un. I think part of the, the wonder of them, in a way, is the way our imagination goes to work. We imagine and we believe that they were sites of some ritual, maybe even sites which commemorate or celebrate our dead in some way because we don't know why they were here. I've been here at night before with a, not a full moon, but a kind of kind of decent moonlight and the sound of the wind in, this, in these grasses and trees that surround it. It can be peaceful, but also it can be very unsettling. In fact, Graham has pulled out all the stops for my paranormal initiation. Because, before I know it, he's introducing me to Letitia Latham-Jones, who's a village wise woman, or what many people would actually call a witch. For Letitia, this stone circle is a place where the supernatural can be found. I walked round the edge of the circle, and then as I went to go back in, the kingstone that leans in the middle... It was a hooded figure in the dark and I sort of turned around to go back and I stopped because I wasn't expecting to see that 
And I thought, should I approach it or not? And I made myself go towards it. And as I got about within about a foot of it, it just turned back to how it was. But they do, they take on figures during the night, these stones. And you can really see them. You can see where the legends come from. So, and also when you walk into the circle, the energy changes from the outside to the inside. You can actually feel the difference as well because it's contained. We'll be hearing more about the power of witchcraft from Letitia and her partner Cassandra in later episodes. We're back here at your favourite place. Yeah, back at the cottage. It's, Which is obsessing you. It is. I struggled up over the moor. Again, to get here, it's a, it's a bit of a climb. Anyway, we're here, Ian. And I thought, okay, why don't we go in? We you can want to go, go in. inside. Yeah, yeah. So that you can see, there's a rope barrier there. There's a rope barrier, which yeah. is a bit of a clue. Yeah, yeah, but there's nobody here. We could just easily now, just you know, the doors open. We could go in and have a look. Nobody's going to know. Well, uh, I suppose if by some misfortune we get some listeners to this podcast, <laughs> they're going to know, aren't they? Yeah, the thing for me is, though, like, so we've spoken to the owner, and the owner says no, because there are far too many people getting into that cottage and getting up to whatever they get up to. Well, you can see his point of view, can't you? I can. But since everybody else is going in there, why don't we? Well, because... Oh, come on. Basically, you just want to break in, and basically, like a burglar. You, yeah, I do. And basically, you just want to get some books and Google stuff and find out things like that, right? Come on, let's go in. It'd be but great. Just, It'd be fun. Just, but you want to know what's going you, on in there now, that there's spirits in there, there's ghosts, that people hear things and they see things. Come on, you've got to come with me. You've got the recorder. You've got the recorder. You've got to come with me. Come on. No. Come on. Forget Ian, it. Ian, you've got the recorder. Ian. Ian, come on. Just record it on your phone then. Come you know, you, you, can tell, you can tell us what you what you want. Listen, if you want to do that, that's fine. Just for a bit of fun, that's okay. We're not going to learn anything in there. No, you head up there, that's fine. He's obsessed. You're obsessed! We have come to the end of episode one and there are so many questions we need answers to. This is a strange one. Why is there so little in the way of documented accounts of this story? Now, the woman who died, what brought her to the door of that cottage? And is it realistic to think that there could have been a cover-up of the police investigation? This is where you can help us. We'd love to hear your theories or thoughts, so do let me and Graham know. You can find us on social media with a hashtag OneDarkNight, or you can email us OneDarkPodcast at gmail.com. In the next episode, we find a previous owner of the cottage and begin to learn about its mysterious past. This was the second big fire there, and at one point, it seems the fireman said to my parents, I'm afraid we can't save the cottage. Inexplicably, the, the wind just suddenly dropped down, 
Um, they were able to put the actual fire out and the next day when everything had died down, the cottage was totally with like a circle all around it where all the gorse around it had been burnt. The fire brigade said they said it was just they couldn't explain how that had happened. And we discover more about some of the people who were in the cottage that dark night. One of them, a notorious Satanist, a man whose presence all these years later still casts a sinister shadow over this place. Do join us next time.